Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. I love that video because it talks a lot about what we do with all of our lives every single day, not just part of our days. And uh, this morning I want to talk to you briefly about the difference between a whole and a fraction. Did you know you're going to get a math class today? Well, if you get a math class from me, you're going to um, not go very far in the math world. <clears throat> but I will, we'll talk a little bit about this today in, in, in the idea of belonging. We're in a series called You Belong. And one of the most important parts about belonging is understanding why or how you belong. And one of the things that's interesting about our culture today is simply this, is that um, <clears throat> if you measure up to the cultural way of of thinking, then you belong. If you don't measure up to that cultural way of thinking, then you don't belong. And you, you get pushed out. You get pushed to the fringe. You get uh, pushed out into, into um, <clears throat> this, this way of thinking. We call it the cancel culture. We can call it anything you want. But at the end of the day, there's this reality that there, our culture uh, says something very, very interesting about us. In fact, if the culture were to define how you are accepted, it would say this. You must create what you are by what you do and express your significance in what you have. Let me say that one more time. You must create what you are by what you do and express your significance in what you have. So if you have money, if you have followers on your social media platforms, if you have lots of toys um, you know, to, to brag about, if you have clothes, if you have influence, all of those would be those things that it, are, are the measurement of your acceptance or, or your approval. And so our world says, if you got money, man, you're, you're in. You know, you're, you're part of the you're good crowd. And if you're, you don't have money, then you're out. And if you don't have influence, then you're out. But if you do have influence, then you're in. And, you, you, you know, how many followers do you have on your Facebook or your um, TikTok or whatever you're doing in your social media world? All those kinds of things are measurements of acceptance or belonging. In the Christian culture, and what I believe the Bible would teach us, is it would say this. It would say, we must accept who we are by living within our design and express our significance by following Jesus with all we have. It's a very different statement than the one previous. In, in, we must accept what we are by living within our design, who we are, and express our significance by following Jesus with all all we have. It's not about how much we have, but we're following him with all we have. That's a big difference. There's a big difference between um, the idea that uh, God values sacrifice versus what will suffice. Let me explain that. There's a big difference between what God values in sacrifice versus what will suffice. Another word for su suffice is sufficient or enough. Some people would say, uh, I've given enough. It's, that's, that's sufficient. And God would say, no, I want sacrifice. I want everything. I want everything. The question this morning is, how does God measure our level of commitment? How does God measure our level of commitment to him? And the way we want to look at it is a fraction. So there's two parts of a fraction. There's the numerator, which is the top number, and there's the denominator, which is 
the bottom number. So if we had a, a uh, three-eighths, if we had a three on the top and an eight on the bottom, the eight represents the whole. The eight represents how many parts are in the whole. There's eight parts in the whole. And the three represents the, the parts of the fraction that are in, in this, in the, that, are, that are committed, let's say. And so three-eighths would mean that three parts of the eight parts are committed. The other five parts are not. And too often we, as, uh, especially Americans, think in terms of compartmentalizing or put, putting things in, in pieces and in slices of our life. This slice of my life is here. This slice of my life is here. Um, my, my giving is here. My, my 401k is here. My saving account is here. My checking account is here. And my fund money is over here. And we put that all in compartments or fractions, and we'd say my giving is this percentage, and my, my, my 401k is this percentage, and my check, my living is this, my, my living money or operational money is this, and then my fund money is over here, and it's this percentage, and God gets this. And we would measure our commitment level potentially like that. And in, in most cases in America, we would say this part, not the giving part, but this part really determines how well I'm doing. And we need to change the perspective. And I'm saying this because of Scripture. I'm not saying this because um, <clears throat> of any other thing. I, I believe Scripture teaches a different perspective, and we need to hold on and embrace this perspective. And I think it's healthy for the church, and you'll see why in just a moment. God desires our commitment to Him to be whole, not fractional, not in fractions. He wants the numbers, the, the, the eight, which represents the whole, should be the same number on top. We should have eight eights or one or a whole commitment to God. Not this three-eighths type of perspective. And um, let God speak to you this morning. I realize that, that um, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about our whole lives. Although I'm never afraid to talk about money because uh, money is part of our lives. It's, it's something that Jesus talks about often. And he puts it in this context in Scripture. So let's start with Mark chapter 12, verse 38. And it says this. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. So Jesus is teaching a group of people. And he says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So Jesus makes a judgment on on, on really religiosity or legalism and especially people who are prideful in their religion and he would eventually call them whitewashed sepulchers or uh, beautiful uh, graves on the outside but dead bones on the inside and he would say this about these guys or the, these teachers of the law they were basically halves they're good on the outside but on the inside they're nothing and so they would be like four eighths they look good on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing. They're, they're, they're a fractional group of people. They're more interested in man's opinion of themselves than they are of God's opinion. 
And so flowing robes and greeting, being, being sure that they're greeted as, oh, hello, master teacher, you're a wonderful person. I just love hanging out with you. You're a great guy. And, and they'd be, oh, bless you, my child, bless you, my child. And, and the, the, the shame of that is not only that they were appreciative of the compliments, but the person that was um, uh, complimenting them was, was seeking approval as well. So there's these two lower perspectives that didn't need to happen. And it was um, a pretty scary thing. And, and here's one thing to always remember is this. An impressive outward appearance hides nothing from Jesus. An impressive outward appearance hides nothing from Jesus. These guys had a good outward appearance, but their insides were ugly. And there was nothing hidden from God. And so we need to take heed to that little message there. We don't need to worry about hiding anything from God because he sees it all. And we don't need to worry about impressing each other. All we need is worrying about impressing Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. We're on the same page. They gave the impression that they were all in, that they were eight and eight. And really, they were only four and eight. They were only four eights or a half. And outside was looking good, but the inside was not committed to Jesus. So then he tells this story after this. So he says this about the teachers of the law. He says, these guys are, are messed up. There's a misunderstanding of, of the right perspective of level of commitment. These guys look religious. They look good. They say all the right things. They want all the right recognition. But at the end of the day, that's not what Jesus is looking for. And then he shows them. He shows them. It says in verse uh, 41 of Mark chapter 12, it says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watch the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. First of all, that is incredibly intimidating to have Jesus watching what you give. Remember what I just said? You can't hide anything from him. So he's still watching what we give, right? Okay. <laughs> Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Only a few cents. So imagine this. There's the, um, in the temple, there was this courtyard where the women could meet, and men could go in there too, and then there were 13 boxes along the wall, each of them shaped kind of in a, a, a horn-type fashion. And people would come in, and they would drop their money into this horn, and it would make all kinds of noise. They, the, the, especially the rich guys would come in, and they would put their money in, and go, you know, have you ever, ever heard Coinstar doing its thing, you know, in, in a store? Uh, it would, sounds kind of like that, where all, this, all these coins and everything's falling in there, and everybody that's watching is going, oh, wow, they're really giving a lot. That's amazing, you know, and, and they're, they're doing so much for God. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. So she walks up, and here everybody's kind of making their big clanging sound, and all of a sudden you hear this, dink, dink. It's like, oh, she's not giving much. It really doesn't matter. That's just a couple cents. It's just a few cents. It doesn't really matter what she's giving in comparison. First of all, comparison is brutal. Don't ever compare yourself to others because that's not the way God looks at you. 
Everything we do for God is between us and Him, not us and us. And I love you, and I appreciate you, and we need to help each other grow. But if I start trying to compare or match or compete with you, and you trying to compete with me, we're just going to get in a fight. We're just going to, we're going to run out of resources and ability to do that because not all of us are, are, have the same kind of resources, right? And that's okay. Each of us have been given what we've got and we need to make the most of what we have. <clears throat> and so we have, so, so he watches this happen. He says this, he, he watches the, the poor widow put the ding, ding. And he calls his disciples to him, which tells us this is a teaching moment. This is a moment that he wants the disciples to understand or clear up the misunderstanding about really what is valuable in the kingdom perspective. And he says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Let's soak in for a minute. All she had to live on. This poor widow has put into the treasury more, more than all the others. What more did she put in? What more did she give? There was only a few cents that she put in while others with great wealth put in hundreds of dollars, I would imagine. What more was it that she put in? What is it that made such a big difference that Jesus took notice and Jesus identified that as more? In my opinion, and what I believe this passage is talking about, is she was not concerned about her portion of what she gave, but her proportion of what she gave. Proportion, the size in other words, these people were giving a fraction of who they were. They were giving just part of themselves. It was affordable. It was sufficient, if you will. It would suffice. In their minds, it was probably enough. The temple doesn't need any more than what I'm giving. That's enough. But this poor widow gave everything. Everything. The whole. There was no fraction that she was giving. She, hers was eight and eight this, instead of three eights. It was, it was this heartfelt love of God, this heartfelt absolute trust in Jesus. We say, well, it's easier for the poor to trust in Jesus because they don't have anything already. They're, all living, they're already living in that needy place in life. Exactly. Exactly where God wants us to be. Exactly where God wants us to understand that he wants us to be in a place of trust of him, not of this world. He wants us to reach out to the approval of him, not of each other. He wants us to realize that it's commitment and trust that, we are, that he is talking about, not just dollars and cents. You see, we Americans have a problem. We are so consumed with dollars and cents that we've forgotten about our commitment and trust. And we've, we're so consumed with dollars and cents that we've put our trust in them instead of Jesus. 
And so what do we do? What do we do? I, I, know, I know what you're thinking because I've, I'm thinking this. I'm going through this experience. When I was studying this, I'm going, Ricardo, you have, you have a 401k. You have a, a savings account. You have a checking account. You have fund money. You have uh, uh, all this, the, you know, you have an emergency fund. How do you manage that and, and follow this? And the honest truth is, my wife and I are praying about it. Because we don't want to be in a place where we're not trusting Jesus. We don't want to be in a place where we're not putting ourselves wholly in his hands. Say, God, I'll give you three-eighths of myself in your hands, but the other five I'm going to take care of because I have this over here and I don't need you for that. I don't need you for my 401k because I'm putting it away. I don't need you for my, my savings account because, and I'm trusting in that for all the other areas of my life except for this. I got, you, you got that. Fractions, not a whole. Not a lot of amens, which I get. I'm okay. Are you okay? Online, are you guys Okay. One author said this, a great danger for any American Christian is to believe that we can lessen the risk of difficulty in our lives by amassing wealth and achieving success. We can lessen our difficulties by amassing wealth and achieving success. Nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with achieving success. Unless you're trusting in those things and those things alone. Studies are showing that people who embrace the idea that they can help themselves by amassing wealth are less trusting of God. We don't, we don't think that if we have all that we need, then we don't need God. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to put ourselves, if you will. At the same time, I don't want to discredit Saving. I don't want to discredit the responsibility, but I do want to say this. That, and and, and, and the, the word of God is compelling me to say it, although I'm even struggling with it to some degree, is how do we put ourselves in full trust in God? Responsibly, all those kinds of things. I think there's a way to do it. In Mere Christianity, the book that C.S. Lewis wrote, the famous um, author he said one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need of God and I would add something to that and so fail to realize the joy of having God provide and having God meet the need being in such a place that you can only trust God can only believe that you are being blessed by him and it's evident and there's no, no other way to say my needs are being met. There's no other way to acknowledge that he is in charge. There's no other way to, to, to say I, the only way I paid my bills was because God was involved. The only way we were able to reach out and touch a hundred single moms is because God was involved. That whatever the case may be, we have to get to that place where we say, God, I 100%, no fraction, trust you. 
Amen? Okay. I'm preaching myself right out of this pulpit. This is not saying that wealth is the danger. Misplaced trust is the danger. The widow's might does not represent the least we can give, but the most, our very all, everything. There's a story that illustrates this really well in Luke chapter 18. It says, a certain ruler asked him, a ruler, a person, came to Jesus and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to, the, he said to him, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. You've done everything good, good Ten Commandment guy. You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Oh, man. It would have been great, God, if, Jesus, if you would have just said, give me a quarter of what you have, and we'll be good. He didn't say that. Jesus is saying, I want all of you, young man. I want every part of you. I want all of what you have. I want all of what you own. I want all of you because when I get all of you, you will have treasure in heaven. You will spend eternity with me and it will be evident that you have committed everything of yourself to me. I don't want a fraction of you. I want all of you. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for, <coughs> for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier, <coughs> excuse me, it is easier for the rich to enter the kingdom, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot more to that illustration that I don't want to take time to explain, but even if you just took it literally, put a camel through the eye of a needle, not happening. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? As if everybody was rich. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, don't look at the impossibility. Don't look at, if I give everything to God, what am I going to do? Leave that up to God. That's what God is for. That's what God does. What is possible with man is, is what is impossible with man is, imp is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. I love what Peter says right there. We have left all to follow you. And then he says this, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. 
What an amazing promise. He follows Peter's statement with, we have left all to say, Peter, you will be blessed. I'm preaching God's word right here. This is the powerful, life-changing, transformational power that is able to take, go into our heart and change us. And that is God's word that says if we give everything, if we follow all, uh, take all of ourselves and not leave a fraction left behind, and we give everything to Jesus, Jesus will bless us. That's not prosperity gospel. I don't know how he will bless you. I don't know how much he will bless you, but I know he will bless you because that's God's word. If Jesus were watching you at the temple offering baskets, what would he say? Here's the beauty of why I don't have any problem preaching about this kind of passage is because I'm not gonna look at your, your tax return. No one's gonna judge you by the car you drive or the clothes you wear or anything like that. This is between you and God. This is between us as individuals and our Lord. And however he chooses to lead and guide us, he will if we have an open heart. I believe that, that as we give of our funds, as we give of our time, as we give of our talent, all of that, what God is saying is give me all of that and then I will use it for my glory. I will use everything of you. Because this isn't about the dollars and cents. What she gave more of was herself and her trust in God than all the other people that gave a lot of money. And it wasn't, he wasn't saying that money isn't going to do any good. That money isn't going to have any value in the church or the temple. That money, he wasn't putting anybody's money down. He was just saying, where's the heart? What she gave more of was herself, everything. Her trust, her commitment, her confidence was not in anything but God. When we hold back, when, when we feel the Lord prompting us to give and, and say, I want you to give, I want you to sacrifice, and then we hold that back, we're just saying, God, I can do better with this on my own. Or God, do you know what that's going to put, that's going to make me not be able to make that, that, uh, that, that purchase I want to purchase in the future. I won't be able to do that now because I'm giving to you. And, and, and he's like, I got you. What, your plans are not mine. I got you. I'll take care of you. If you, if you will follow this path. And, and so... I believe what God's calling us this morning to this is a level of commitment that maybe has not yet been realized. I like what um, this guy named Henry Varley said. He said it to um, D.L. Moody, who was a famous evangelist, went around the world leading people to Jesus. And um, D.L. Moody was challenged by this statement that Henry Varley said. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in a man or woman who is full and wholly consecrated to him. Let me read it again. 
The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in a man or woman who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. My prayer this whole week as I've been studying this passage and, and trying to grapple with all the implications of giving everything to God is that I would land in this result, that I would land in this, that I would be, if I could, if I could just be God, that guy that is fully and wholly consecrated, set apart, committed, sacrificially given to you, no matter what that means. And for me as a pastor of this church and, and, and leading, hopefully, a, a prayerfully, a movement that will change this community and, and county, my prayer is that we will be a church. Somebody took this statement and made it into that church statement that there has yet to be a church I don't know how true this is, but there's yet to be a church that has ever been fully and wholly committed and consecrated to God. There's a lot of good churches out there. I'm not sure I completely agree with that statement, but I'll let it challenge us. I'll let it challenge us, church, to be a church fully and wholly committed and consecrated to God. Will we be that church? Will you be that individual? What would Jesus say if he were watching us give at the, at the offering place in the temple, what would he say of us? I want to be the widow. It's not about the portion, it's about the proportion. It's not about the, the, the amount of money, it's the size of sacrifice. And he's not asking for fractions today. And I'm not, I'm unashamedly asking for you to commit all of yourself your checkbook, your time, your calendar, your everything to God today. Whatever that means for you, no one's going to come and, and, and check your books. It's between you and God. Where do you stand with God today? Let's pray. There's twice in my life where I've had the privilege of making a change and having no means to know how that change was going to work out. One was when I had a, a personal mental breakdown and I did not have the means to take care of myself or my family and God miraculously changed, took care of us. We became needy people. In some respects, we even became a little bit homeless. And God miraculously took care of every one of our needs. When we moved here from Seattle to here, um, we had some money that we, we ended up using to take care of my, my father-in-law, but God um, miraculously took care of us and met every need. And there, there were people in our lives that gave so generously. I remember packing the U-Haul trailer and... Um, a friend of mine drove up who I hadn't seen for quite a while and he handed me a thousand dollars and he said, here, you need this. I know you're moving and I know you're moving without a job. I know you're moving without plans and, and just doing it in faith and I just want you to know God's gonna take care of you. And he handed me a thousand dollars. 
I don't know how God always pulls it off, but he always pulls it off. And we can never go wrong by giving him everything. We can never go wrong by just saying yes to God. No matter what he's telling you right now, no matter what he's placing in your heart, and you're going and you're wrestling with it because it just sounds crazy and even stupid and maybe even irresponsible. If God is speaking, God will come through. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will see us all as people like you saw this widow. That are giving giving you everything we've got. They're putting it all in. Lord, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would elevate our faith to bring us to that point where we no longer fear The thing that we fear the most is not having faith in you and having faith in this world. That if we start putting our faith in the things of this world, that we would shed them, that we would get rid of them so that we are always trusting you, always putting our hope, our faith, our confidence, our trust in you. Lord, I pray that the power of your spirit would move right now in your church to help us be that church that is fully and wholly consecrated, set apart, sacrificially given to you. Lord, I believe that you are doing that right now as we speak in the hearts of every individual in this body. Lord, help us to be the widow. Help us to emulate her faith. Help us to emulate her gift of everything to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be that church. We would be those individuals that are fully and wholly consecrated to you. If the world has yet to see someone who is fully and wholly consecrated to you, may we be that person in this generation today. And may we give everything to you. I pray God's blessing on you. I pray God's favor on you. I pray for faith for you that you'll be able to stretch out and put yourself in a context of faith so that we could live life to its fullest. Because when we're dependent upon the world, when we're dependent upon ourselves, we're dependent upon whatever we depend on, we are not living the fullest life. We need, when we are fully dependent upon Jesus, that's when we're going to see the joy of Jesus flowing in and through us and out of us in miraculous ways. Today, every one of us in this room, every one of us online is being called to another level of faith, and I pray that we will all reach it today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. May our faith increase. May our hope increase. May our trust increase. May our confidence increase in you, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray that for every person in this room. Maybe you're here today and you have yet to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I just want to give you a brief opportunity to say yes to Jesus. He loves you. He died on the cross for you so that your sins, your, all your mistakes could be forgiven. And I just want to ask right now, if you're ready to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe that you were raised from the dead, and I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. 
and I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.